Mohawk warriors, Tanse Sego Ani Buju, Quainin Deloisi Pampometer, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, and practices. But it is also very much about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. Heads up, today's show continues our discussion about genocide in Canada, so it may be a difficult subject for some of you. It's also a, condi- a continuation of the talk I gave this week in Toronto with David Suzuki and Naomi Klein, both champions of protecting the planet, respecting Indigenous rights, and advocating for social justice. This podcast is also based on research and publications that I've done before on the critical link between the genocide of Indigenous women and girls and ecocide of the planet. The National Inquiry into Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women and Girls found that Canada has and continues to commit genocide against Indigenous peoples, specifically targeting Indigenous women and girls. And we talked about that in some detail in the last podcast. What this means is that we are in a crisis of epic proportions. We literally need to act right now to end the genocide of Indigenous peoples. And we also need to stop the ecocide of the earth. The two go hand in hand. The pain of Indigenous peoples is felt as pain by the planet. When our land and water defenders die or go missing, who will stand there to protect the land and the waters, the plants and the animals? But similarly, the pain of the planet is felt first and foremost by Indigenous peoples who always feel the disproportionate effects of water contamination, deforestation, and pollution. The two are inseparable. The land, waters, plants, animals, fish, birds, insects, and the peoples all depend on our precious ecosystem to survive. Yet, settler governments in Canada, the United States, Australia, New Zealand, and all over the world have colonized Indigenous territories with horrific acts of violence to both the Indigenous peoples and the Earth. And the colonizing mentality still pervades many of these governing systems, including all of their laws, policies, and practices, which allow them, both governments and corporations, to exploit people and the ecosystem as though they were commodities. Extraction economies leave destruction in their wake, and they're not sustainable. The damages to Indigenous women and girls, lands and waters, are incomprehensible. The media has shown many tears from Indigenous mothers who've lost thousands of daughters from being murdered and missing by the thousands. And at the same time, we've also seen the heartbreak of killer whale mothers mourning the loss of their offspring who can't survive in an oil tanker dominated ecosystem. And if we, as First Nations and Canadians, don't act quickly, many more Indigenous women and girls will also die. We no longer have the time to debate politics, religion, or theoretical points of view. The crisis in Canada is now a matter of life and death for all of us. 
And it won't be good enough in 50 years to look back and say, we tried, we had the best intentions, or we gave it our best effort. We either act now or people and the planet die. And right now, Indigenous women and girls are dying by the thousands. Many, many species on this planet are dying. And you know all of this. This isn't news. We can no more deny climate change than we can deny the genocide of Indigenous women and girls. The statistics, the research, and the evidence is before our eyes, and it's too overwhelming. Climate change is literally the greatest threat to all life on Earth, humans, plants, and animals. The tar sands in Alberta are killing Indigenous peoples with rare cancers. Pipelines and oil tankers are poisoning our waterways and killing our fish and birds. Clear-cutting the forests is reducing our oxygen supply and destroying animal habitat. Mining is displacing people, polluting the lands and waters, and destroying the very plants and medicines we need to survive. But who bears the burden of environmental destruction, water contamination, and more pipelines? In many countries, laws say polluter pays, but we don't see polluters paying. Indigenous peoples, racialized peoples, impoverished peoples, and the homeless peoples suffer the disproportionate impacts. The gap continues between the rich and the poor, while large corporations reap all the benefits. And I'm just going to take mining for an example. Mining is largely controlled by transnational corporations. And those are corporations that may be housed in one particular country like Canada, but operate in many different countries. And Canadian mining companies are a prime example worldwide. Mining is about exploitation. And it's about extraction. Not just of the minerals in the ground, but of the Indigenous women and girls on the territory. For decades, the primary focus of anti-mining, logging, and oil and gas activists has been on the environmental destruction left behind by the extractive industry, which is incredibly important. But it is also a fact that Indigenous peoples worldwide are disproportionately impacted by environmental destruction in their territories, caused by these transnational corporations with the approval of state governments. Environmental racism has put all of the profits in the hands of corporations at the expense of the health of Indigenous peoples and the local ecosystem. What is less known by the general public are the very unique traumas experienced by Indigenous women and girls when transnational corporations invade their lands and their bodies. Indigenous women and little girls experience higher rates of sexualized violence from the frontline workers and security forces hired by national and transnational corporations seeking to exploit the natural resources on Indigenous lands. Many state governments have allowed these violent crimes against Indigenous women and girls to continue for decades without taking any substantive steps to hold these corporations accountable. This has resulted in massive human rights violations, which are often ignored, denied, or covered up by out-of-court settlements, sometimes even rerouted to confidential alternative dispute processes. The general public is kept in the dark about what these corporations are doing in the name of profit. What is happening, but gets very little media attention, and worse, very little attention from law enforcement and public safety officials, is rape of the lands and rape of Indigenous women and girls. 
Take Hud Bay Minerals Incorporated, for example. They are a major transnational Canadian mining company that's facing court proceedings in Canada for the reported murder of an Indigenous leader and gang rapes of Indigenous women from the Mayan Ketchi community located on lands near the mine. The rapes are reported to have been committed by security forces hired by the Canadian mining company Sky Resources, the previous owner of the mine before Hud Bay purchased it. Hud Bay is also in legal troubles in Peru, as protesters are calling them out for human rights violations attached to the Constantia mine, an open pit copper mine. But it's not just internationally that these transnational companies are doing damage. In Canada, Hud Bay has used the courts and its own security forces to keep indigenous peoples off their own lands in order to protect their profits at the Lalore mine in northern Manitoba. Bear Gold is a corporation, a a Canadian mining company, and actually one of the largest gold mining companies in the world. It has operated the Porgera mine in Papua New Guinea since 2006, where it has been long reported by human rights activists that hundreds of Indigenous women and girls have been subjected to sexualized violence and gang rapes committed by the security forces hired by Barrick Gold. After much intervention by human rights organizations, Barrick Gold finally admitted that there was a problem, but not before hundreds of Indigenous women and girls were brutalized some suffering permanent physical and mental injuries. Acacia Mining, formerly known as African Barrick, is a subsidiary of a Canadian mining giant Barrick Gold, operating primarily on the African continent. Human rights organizations have reported at least 50 cases of violence, beatings, rapes, and gang rapes committed by their security forces from the North Marigold mine on local villagers. And despite numerous interventions, it is still reported that these human rights violations have not abated. Anvil Mining Limited is also a Canadian mining company located in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. They are being sued in a Canadian court by victims who claim that in order to protect its copper mine, the Anvil Mining Company provided logistical and other support to the Congolese military who were reported to have committed major human rights violations on local Indigenous peoples, including tortures, mass killings and mass graves, and violent rapes of the local Indigenous women and girls. Royal Dutch Shell is a multinational oil and gas company said to be the world's second largest company. It has been criticized by the United Nations and numerous other human rights organizations for the devastating environmental destruction and pollution its operations have caused especially in the Niger Delta in Nigeria. Human rights watchdogs reported that Shell fueled violence and death in Nigeria by providing funds to rival violent gangs. Yet, the indigenous peoples there live in abject poverty while billions of dollars of oils were pulled from their territories. During the conflict, Shell funded violent gangs, resulting in hundreds of destroyed homes, the alleged killing of 80 people, and the gang rapes of numerous Indigenous women. In the United States, Whiting Petroleum is reported to be the largest producer of oil in the Bakken oil fields in Northern Dakota. Other top producing companies in those Bakken oil fields include Continental Resources, Hess Corp, EOG Resources, and Stat Oil. Some of these companies house their workers in what's known as large man camps, which have led to massive crime waves in North Dakota, especially directed at women. 
The increase in crime includes violent acts of assault, murder, rape, and human trafficking. And indigenous women from the three affiliated tribes, Mandan, Hidatsa, and Arikara Nation, report increases in gang rapes and human trafficking of indigenous women and girls, all affiliated with those man camps. In fact, North Dakota has now soared to the eighth highest incidence of rape in the country as a result. Closer to home in Canada, the Alberta tar sands have been blamed for the dramatic increase in cancer rates in First Nations, as well as increased violence against women. But the tar sands are just one example of corporate violence against the lands, waters, and Indigenous women and girls. Indigenous women and girls in Canada are already experiencing disproportionately high rates of sexualized violence, including high rates of murders and disappearances, trafficking, exploitation, and other forms of violence. While some consider the extraction of natural resources from Indigenous lands as analogous to the rape of women, sadly, the reality is that the extraction of natural resources from Indigenous lands against the will of Indigenous peoples, in fact, includes the actual rape of Indigenous women and girls. What we need now is real action on both genocide against Indigenous women and girls and ecocide in our Indigenous territories. But that's going to require two things. Number one, to implement the National Action Plan put forward by the National Inquiry into Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women and Girls to actually put an end to genocide. Number two, it's going to require a comprehensive climate action plan to end the ecocide that's happening in Indigenous territories. And we really need all Canadians to step forward and do what they can to push governments to take immediate action. Our collective lives literally depend on it. If there is no drinkable water or farmable land or pollinators to keep all of the flowers and fruits and vegetables growing, none of us will survive. It is so critical that we think about the true spirit and intent of the treaty relationship we have on Turtle Island. Remember, we all committed to mutually protect one another from harm. And Indigenous peoples have been living up to their end of the obligation. They have joined Canada's wars. They have done everything to protect Canadian settlers. Now it's time for Canadian settlers to step up and protect all of us and push governments to act on this national action plan to end genocide and a climate action plan to end ecocide. Thank you all for tuning into my show. I will post links to some of the resources that I use for this podcast in the description box. If you like this episode, please consider supporting my podcast by subscribing, liking, and sharing each episode. I'm currently hosted on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. And make sure to leave me your show ideas in the comment section. You can also follow me on Instagram as Pam underscore Palmiter as I talk about warrior living. You can also subscribe to my videos on YouTube where I tackle the difficult political and legal issues facing Indigenous peoples. Till next time, keep living a warrior life. Walaliog.